So Money episode 486, Natasha Lekic, founder of New York Book Editors. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Get this. Imagine growing your income 10 times over in just a few short years, maybe even working fewer hours along the way. Sounds good, right? Today's guest is doing just that. She is the founder of New York Book Editors, Natasha Lekich. She founded the company three years ago after working at a publishing house and just wanting to break free from the firm that she described as a sinking ship. She was working overtime, earning about $50,000 a year. New York Book Editors was born out of her desire to break free from that. And the company now caters to a sweet spot in the ever-evolving publishing world. It's a company that provides editorial services and courses for authors and authors-to-be. So if you're looking to write a book and you need help with an editor, this is where you go. The company's editors are veterans of the publishing industry. They've worked with well-known authors from, you know, little names like Stephen King to Apollo Coelho to former So Money guests, Ariana Huffington and James Altucher. But Natasha's rise to success came with some insecurities around money. And she talks about how she overcame those fears and the strange connection to her great-grandfather that ended up giving her all the answers. Plus, how to successfully publish a book these days, how to find an agent, get a six-figure advance, even if you're an aspiring author with zero platform. Here is Natasha Lakich. Natasha Lekich, welcome to So Money. You went from making what fifty thousand a year to fifty thousand a month. <laughs> yes, yes, that's so um, money. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Really happy to be here. And in an industry that we often hear is a diminishing industry, publishing. You know, we hear about the traditional publishers and how they're consolidating, they're laying off workers. It's sort of this very much this industry in transition. You have managed to find a very nice niche for yourself. Tell us how you got the aha moment. I understand you were an editor at a major publishing firm and you wanted more. You knew there was more out there for you. Yeah, I was I was actually on the business side. I was a managing editor. I I've only edited a few books, but I was I was very bullish on the idea of self-publishing. I felt like it was it was a great opportunity for a lot of authors. Um and at the same time, as you mentioned, I just felt like the publisher I was working for in some ways was like a sinking ship. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't know how else to put it. I felt like they weren't adapting. A lot of us were making suggestions and were willing to make changes and they're fairly slow to change. I mean, every big company, this is true of every big company. So I just at some point I just decided I wanted to to try to do something on my own. You know, I felt like the tide was turning and I wanted to take advantage of that. So, did you quit your job and I then just, and then figure it out or you had a 
an idea of what it was that you wanted to create. And I know you didn't have much savings. So tell us about that transition. I had ideas. (laughs) I had several ideas. I didn't have a concrete plan. I just knew that I wanted to leave. I wasn't really happy with with my role. And I I literally planned to take the little that I had in savings. And I'm talking about, you know, probably (laughs) $5,000. I had been on a publishing salary in New York. You know, I didn't have much in the bank. And I I thought, you know, no problem. I'll move in with my parents and try to figure it out, try to build something. My boyfriend at the time was actually trying to convince me to leave as well. And he wanted to support me in that phase. So that's what I ended up doing. And I, I tried to build an app to help children create animated storybooks. That was very short lived. Although I found two co-founders who were technical um, that it was just too ambitious for me at the time. And then I went to another idea that I had had. I was in publishing. I don't know how much people know about an editor's role, but I saw the difference that great editing made. I'm sure you've written so many books. I'm sure that um, yes. you've had the experience of you know, working with a knowledgeable editor and how helpful that is. Um, in crafting your material. Definitely. You know, first tell us though, what New York book editors, that's ultimately the company that you founded. And I find it interesting that you first wanted to do something that you described as too ambitious. Um, So maybe the advice is start with what you know and what you, and, and what your instincts are telling you. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely the takeaway. Um, so with $80, you started New York book editors, right? So $80. So just to break that down, I had never created a website before that took $20 a month on Squarespace. You know, it didn't look great. (laughs) It, It was really a dinky little site. And the other thing that I learned was that when you just build a website, it's almost like building a storefront you know, in the tundra in Siberia, no one can find it. <laughs> so you, you had, I took an SEO class and that was probably $60. And the big thing I learned from that was the value of viral content, mm-hmm. which I think people hear that and assume it's such a long shot, but it's not. I, okay. I, so sidebar, you, well, how do you get a, a content to go viral? So it's, it's really important to think about the problems that your target audience has. Mm-hmm. You know, in my case, I was thinking, I I knew that authors experience writer's block. A lot of them have that issue. I researched that topic and came up with an infographic with all this advice on how to get over writer's block. I put it on Tumblr and I think now it has 55,000 notes Hmm. on Tumblr. So it basically made the site visible. I mean, there were so many links suddenly going to the site that search engines picked it up and we started getting authors writing in. I think really just thinking about the issues that your audience has and and how you can help them. And really Um, knowing how they speak, how they articulate those problems, right? Like if they're going to the Google search engines, what are the words that they're using to type in? Writer's block is a very common phrase, something that when you're thinking of the inability to write, that's what you think. That's what you type. So there's a there, yes, it's knowing your audience, but even more than that, it's like you you really understand how they express themselves, uh, at least digitally. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. The, the jargon is also really, really mm-hmm. important. Yeah. The other challenge I think that you faced, and this is based on an article that you wrote online for Business Insider as you were launching your business, was convincing editors 
to join the platform. Editors who have very sophisticated resumes, they've worked with New York Times bestselling authors. So how did you convince these very esteemed writers, editors to collaborate with you on a freelance basis? (laughs) It was nerve wracking. Um, I would, you know, I I had some friends in the industry and um, I had a friend um, who joined from the beginning, but then to get other big names involved, I would get an introduction to the person, you know, set up a coffee meeting and just really, I thought, why on earth would they want to associate themselves with this dinky little website, you know, that was just getting its start. But a lot of, so our sweet spot I discovered from talking to these editors was editors who just wanted to spend a lot more time editing. So the reality of the industry is that when you're in-house, so much time is spent on acquisitions, in meetings, um, on marketing, and actually, you know, a lot of their editing is done in the evening and on weekends. So some editors who want to go freelance do it because they want to spend more time actually with the material. I didn't know that at the time. I mean, this is something that, you know, you you just figure out all these things by talking to people. Right. And, and I'm sure the extra money was good. The extra money was definitely good. We do work with some people who are who are still in-house and take occasional projects. And yeah, as you mentioned, or maybe not, but the salaries in publishing are not that impressive. <laughs> Yeah, taking on the occasional project, I think, is is helpful for them. So surprisingly, they were, I mean, most of the people I talked to were on board mm. right away. Interesting. Does yeah. your company work specifically with self-publishers, or I should say authors that want to self-publish, or can you also work with people who are have traditional book uh, deals with big publishers? Uh, because in that case, I'm not sure why you would need another editor. You have an editor that comes with your deal. Um, so where do you see yourself fitting in the world of publishing? Right. So I thought we would work exclusively with authors who are self-publishing to give them the same experience that traditional authors have in-house, which as you mentioned, you know, you're assigned to an editor and you work with them. But the reality is that most of our authors actually intend to publish traditionally, I would say about 65%. And they're either referred by an agent, or they just find us organically, and they want to polish their book, their manuscript rather, to get it to a state where the agent is ready to represent them. Because as you mentioned, the state of publishing today is such that editors, in-house editors don't have as much time to devote to material as they used to. So they're actually looking for manuscripts that are further along in their development that don't require as much work editorially. So as an insider, giving advice to somebody who wants to publish traditionally, they want to work with the big firms, what is the ticket these days? I mean, things are changing so rapidly. When I first published 10 years ago, I think a lot of the advice still holds true. You want to have an author. The most attractive authors are the ones that have established platforms, that have built-in audiences. The message is important too, but they really pay a lot of close attention to the marketing. Has that just gotten more and more reinforced over the years? And so where somebody who has a fantastic idea, but is a nobody, you know, has no online platform, um, doesn't really have a quote unquote community yet around their idea, is not someone who's going to be picked up. What do you think about that? 
I think it's definitely easier if you have a platform, but the truth is it's so it's not easy to find great ideas and great writing and that and agents actively look for that. Mm-hmm. And Good. we've we've seen a we've seen a lot of authors who have absolutely no online presence go on to get six-figure deals because the writing is really strong. Mm-hmm. While it's true that that's definitely a benefit, it's not it's not something that is imperative. Where do you see publishing going in the next five years? What 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 sort of sea shift do you see happening? What are the biggest changes forthcoming? I so we've reached a period there was so much growth in self-publishing and in ebooks. Um and recently I don't know if you saw there was an article that showed that people it started to reverse a little bit. People are reading paperbacks and hardcovers more than they used to. I think they're they're going back to the traditional format. So I think we've reached a point at which things have stabilized. Um, we won't see the same growth in probably self-publishing and e-readers, uh, I mean, um, e-books as we have to date. But at the same time, I think from a psychological perspective, the validation that authors look for from traditional publishing will continue to be reduced. I think younger authors don't feel like they need to be published traditionally in order to feel like they're a legitimate author. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll have that influence coming into play as well where uh, in self-publishing. True. Although I will say that when it comes to marketing the book, it does help to have the not that the resources are so robust anymore, but it is it is helpful to have the the backing of a well a, of a reputable publisher, right? As you go to yeah. the marketplace, um, I think it's more challenging, maybe more expensive to market your own self published book, um, especially definitely. if you don't have the the contacts and the the relationships. It's definitely more expensive. I think there are two types of authors. There are authors who are more like entrepreneurs who don't mind figuring everything out on their own as long as they they want to be in control of the material. Mm-hmm. And then there are authors who who really want to have that support and that, you know, knowledge from from a publisher. So now you have what is it 10x your income <laughs> or what you know yes <laughs> over the span of just a few years how has that changed your life from a financial standpoint what are the, some of the upgrades changes that you've made since becoming wealthier it's interesting you mentioned that because i i kind of had a mini crisis <laughs> because of the success last year's success um i had a so money moment when you know you realize you've you've made almost 500k in gross revenue through the business but at the same time i was more stressed than i'd ever been before i would fixate on something like an unsubscribe button not working i started arguing with my husband if he disagreed with with my decisions i wasn't focusing on things like you know the great emails that we get from authors who love their editor, who are so grateful for their edit. Instead, I just seemed to be fixating on negative things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't understand why that was happening. And I went to see a coach in San Francisco in January. I didn't really know why, but I just felt like something was wrong and I was being held back in some way. And I wasn't even sure that it was about the income. 
But it turned out that it was. She's an NLP practitioner, a breakthrough specialist. And I spent 10 hours talking to her in a session. And I don't know, you're probably familiar with NLP, but at a certain point, she she put me in this state, not hypnosis, but just a state. I was fully conscious and asked me where these negative emotions were coming from. And you're just supposed to say whatever were, you know comes to mind. I said, my great grandfather. Hmm. Yeah. And she said paternal or maternal. I said paternal side. And I did. I had no idea why I was saying this. I didn't know anything about my great grandfather. It was just, it was bizarre. But after the session, I felt, I know, I felt this sense of release. I felt it was just joyful. I don't know. I, I don't know what had happened, but I just, I felt free in a way. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 84 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website with hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from. The drag-and-drop editor. There's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. Wix.com empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy too busy, too busy worrying about your budget, too busy scheduling appointments, too busy to build a website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your website today. The result is stunning. Okay, so take a couple steps back. Um, yeah. So NLP is neuro linguistic programming, right? It's right. um, it's an approach to like it's kind of like psychotherapy, but it's it's a way to help you kind of break through, communicate what subconsciously you might be feeling. And so you mentioning your great grandfather was there? What was the connection for you? I mean, was it just that you blurted out his name and then you woke up and you felt better? Like what? Take me through that I that, just, that gray he- area. It's basically that I said his name. Well, it wasn't that I, I, I felt better after the whole 10 hour session, but that was a key moment. I don't, I didn't know why I felt better. I couldn't understand it. But afterwards I called my parents and I asked them, you know, if I knew about my great grandfather, I wasn't aware of it. I asked them, you know, is there anything, can you tell me about my great grandfather? It was a weird question for them. You know, is there anything to do with money or something? with him. And he said, yeah, actually, there was something. It turns out he was orphaned at a very young age in a village in Serbia. He had two siblings. They they moved in with his uncle, who barely had enough money to provide for his own family. So he dropped out of school and became an apprentice to a shoe cobbler to help provide for himself and his siblings. And over the years, you know, he built a little cobbler business up. Over the decades, that became a shoe factory. You know, he had really made it in every sense of the word. He had a chauffeur, a large house, and he had spent his lifetime building this up. And then communism came. And in his 50s, his factory was seized. Um, a lot of his possessions were taken. He basically lost everything overnight. He was hired as one of the like really low level employees in the factory and was basically, you know, had to work there 
until his retirement as an employee at that level. So I was in trying to piece together why I had said his name, I realized that there was a lot of not negativity, but my parents had a certain approach to money that was that can be considered fairly negative or insecure because they know they have experienced in their family of it literally be taken away from you. Exactly. Exactly. And so the, my grandparents, the next two generations, including, you know, all my grandmothers, it was a similar story on my maternal side, but not as crazy. They all had, you know, conventional jobs. They, no one ever, after that, no one tried to build anything or risk anything. Hmm. So there was this just beliefs about money that I had picked up, I think unconsciously. Very interesting though, that you picked up on this about your great-grandfather having not really known the story. Um, right. What? <laughs> that's kind of spooky. <laughs> it is really spooky. That's what did what did your coach say? What was her interpretation? What did she encourage you to do following the meeting? Like you you feel great, but how do you continue to feel confident about your money after the session? Well, um, a lot of it is realizing that the beliefs. It's important to think about beliefs that you have that you may not even fully be aware of and examine those and you can actually change those beliefs. And so, I mean, a lot of strategies include visualization to become, you know, more comfortable with with money, basically. And ever since that session, I've really welcomed it into my life. I see it as a marvelous tool. We've continued to grow a lot year to date compared to last year. We're up 58%. We've hired a new employee we're developing a course that's going to launch soon. It's just I and I don't think I would have been able to do all these things if I had felt the same way about uh, money. And what I what I'm also hearing from you is that you're not afraid to invest in your own self-development even if it means going out on a limb. Like I read in the article that you spent a lot of money, like $8,000 to go to a 2-day workshop hosted by Ramit Sethi who's been on this show, he's a friend. And he's one of the top online educators out there for entrepreneurs. And, you know, he's not inexpensive. And you cashed out and you went to his <laughs> event. And then, of course, you have the coach that you, she probably wasn't, or he probably wasn't inexpensive. And so tell us a little bit about getting over the hesitation or fear of spending money to make money. Yeah, I have to, I actually have to credit my husband with that. He he really pushes pushes me to invest in myself. And, you know, given the way I used to think about money, it, that was extremely hard um, for me to do. But I would, I can really point to, you know, in both of those times that you mentioned as pivotal moments in my both professional and personal development, you know, I know it's, it's, it's a tremendous amount of money remits uh, summit was $8,000. <laughs> but it's all the times that I've experienced it, it's been well worth it. It's just investing in yourself has such a ripple effect throughout, you know, areas of your life. So tell us a little bit about a habit that you have, a financial habit that helps you with either some of the emotional issues, barriers you have, or are working through around money, or maybe it's another way of managing your money that helps you with the more day-to-day stuff. Just give us some insights onto your top habits or habit. I check our business numbers on a daily, even probably twice a day. 
just to kind of stay on top of the pulse of what's Mm -hmm. happening. But my personal numbers, I don't check that often. Um, Why do you think so? Do you, (laughs) (laughs) when you're an entrepreneur, you feel like that's who you are and you forget about your personal side sometimes. And so maybe that's why the concentration is all on the business right now. But uh, why do you think that might be the case? I think that it's just an indicate. It's important to check the health of the business. Whereas, I mean, my personal account flows from that. I think it's just, it's not as as critical for me to stay on top of that. Mm-hmm. As you are building this business, I heard you're doing an online course, you're hiring more people. What's your overall approach to growth? This is probably the second piece of marketing or publicity I've ever done for New York this, Book Editors. This podcast? This podcast, Oh, yes. I'm yeah, What was the first? Was it business? The Business, the business Insider, Insider. Yes. Which was last year, so maybe... Yes, yes. <laughs> um... So I haven't, clearly I haven't done much of this. Um, and, and that's really because we've, we've been at capacity or close to capacity, mm-hmm. um, for a while. Uh, so we're, you know, bringing on the new employee and, um, adding to our, um, editor roster will allow us to grow. I wanted to do that first before, um, really talking about, who we are and what we do. Uh, publicity and marketing is coming up. <laughs> and then um, I'm so excited about a new side of our business, which is um, the courses and the course development. That's that's the other part of the growth. Awesome. All right. And um, okay, parting advice for aspiring authors today. Let's say specifically authors in the nonfiction space, their dream is to write a book. How do they make sure that it gets published? So... In the nonfiction space, if it's not a memoir, you can actually sell it based on a proposal. Authors should know that they don't have to write the entire manuscript if they want to publish traditionally. They can write a proposal, which in many ways is a marketing document for agents and for publishers, um, which lays out their plan for what their book will be. So that's something that's a lot more manageable, I think, for authors and, you know, Authors in the nonfiction space are lucky to have that. So I would just say work on the proposal and then focus on uh, researching agents is huge. Yeah. How do you get the attention of an agent, really? I know they all usually offer their mailing address or an email, but is it just knowing someone who knows someone? I mean, that, that in my career has been really the the way to go is someone connecting me to an agent. Um, and I've had uh, two different literary agents in my career. And it's always been through a trusted friend or acquaintance. So right. is, there, is there any other, is there any hope for someone out there who doesn't have that connection? Yes. Yeah. Most people don't have um, the yeah. connections. Yeah. Um, and that's actually exactly what our course is about, <laughs> finding a, a literary agent. So my biggest piece of advice on that front is to really, there's so much available online. You can research agents so easily. There are many platforms such as Publishers Marketplace. I'd strongly encourage anyone. There's a membership fee involved, $25 a month, but in one month, you can just get so much information on agents that work with your genre. And then I would say really, really look into who the agent is, what their interests are. Almost every agent has a Twitter account these days. It's 
so important to personalize your query letter to them. It means a great deal. I've heard so many stories, countless agents who wouldn't even probably have been interested in in a certain book, but the author took the time to say, you know, something like, I know you grew up in um, Ohio and, you know, my protagonist is also from there or this event in my book happens there. Um, just to find some kind of personal connection and show that you took the time and that you really understand. That shows so much. It shows you understand who the agent is, what they're looking for, and that that makes all the difference. I 100% agree because most people don't do that. And as right. someone who also receives a lot of emails, I'm sure you get a lot of emails. That's that's a, a simple way to get someone's attention. All right, Natasha, let's do some so many fill in the blanks. This is when I start a sentence and as quickly as possible, try to finish it. First thing that comes to mind, there are no wrong answers. <laughs> okay. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million bucks. The first thing I would do is help my parents retire. Oh, I mean, they would retire immediately. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. And then some, I mean, that's a lot of yes. money. You can, are they, um, are they in America or are they overseas? They are. They're yeah. in Atlanta. One thing that makes my life easier or better, a purchase or an expense that makes my life easier or better is? I know you've heard this a million times, but I just have to say it. Cleaning lady? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Got it. Yes. Uh, mine was here just yesterday and I'm thankful for it. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Worth every penny. When I splurge, I like to spend on... Luxury hotels. Ooh. It's not very often, but oh my goodness, it just makes you feel like a million yeah, bucks. <laughs> those uh, um, Egyptian cotton sheets. Yeah. Worth every penny. When I donate, I like to give to blank because? I like to give to people I know. Um, so either people whose families have been afflicted by a certain disease and then oh. research into that disease mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, with... I know some people who have had some medical issues um, and, you know, have needed help from friends and family. So, so That's far. nice. There's so many great causes out there. So it's good to have kind of a philosophy around it because that allows you to really focus and um, feel good about your, your contributions. And when I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is is that it's n it doesn't have to be so hard to make. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I used to think that you had, you know, it had to be really hard. And the truth is the people that I know who are very wealthy don't work as hard as other people I know. <laughs> mm. Well, that's interesting. You know, were your parents immigrants? Yes. Okay. On the one hand, immigrants are very risk averse. You know, they they like left their homeland and they came to a country that they knew very little about and had to start over. So in that way, my parents are the same. You know, they're very brave. They're very, I guess, fearless in some ways. And that is the sometimes the blueprint for an entrepreneur. But I don't find many immigrants, at least in my experience, looking to entrepreneurship as like their key to freedom. They come here and they want security. So they try to find that job. They try to find that, you know, recurring paycheck, which is, uh, I guess, you know, I understand it psychologically, but it's, I wish that that too, growing up, that my parents had been a little bit more encouraging of, 
you know, making your own money. Exactly. Yeah, I feel the same way. I think though you make you made an interesting point. Perhaps they've they used up all their huge risk taking, you know, mm-hmm. willpower. Um, yeah, they, they're things. spent. <laughs> right, right. And then everything else, you 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 really crave that safety. Um, maybe it's easier for us to say. Right. True, true. Uh, Natasha, last but not least, I'm Natasha Lekic. I'm so money because? Because I, I feel like I'm in control of my life and I design it in a way that reflects my values. Love that. New York Book Editors is the business. Thank you so much. I'm honored that this is your second <laughs> interview. Hopefully this will spark many more and uh, really appreciate your story. Congratulations. And we look forward to seeing your rise. Thank you so much, Farnoosh. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks to my guest, Natasha, once more. If you'd like to learn more about her and her company, the website is nybookeditors.com. She's also on Twitter at L-E-K-I-C-N. And she's on Facebook. The webpage is nybookeditors. All this information is back at somoneypodcast.com. Don't worry if you missed any of it. We've got the transcript, the audio. You can leave a comment over at somoneypodcast.com. And then while you're there, you can also leave me a question. It's one-stop shopping, folks. Leave me a question at Ask Farnoosh, and that's how we'll get connected for the Friday episodes. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope your day is so money. So money.